Hey, it's Jeff and Jeremy from the Ultra Running Guys. And if you're here, you probably already know that we started this podcast to help you take your next step in your ultra running journey. But what you may not know is that in addition to this podcast, we also host two live races in the Wilmington, North Carolina area that are designed to do the same. The first is the final countdown, which takes place on September 16th. And whether you've never run before or you're a hardcore ultra veteran, this race is designed to help you find your limits. And we will be there to help celebrate with you. And we have now opened registration for the Hydra, which will take place on April 20th and has a 50K individual, a 50K relay, and a half marathon option. Whatever option you choose, we promise that slaying the Hydra will be unlike any race you've ever experienced. All right, so mark your calendars, share with your friends, and visit us at theultrarunningguys.com or check out the links in the show notes for more info. And with that, enjoy the episode. And remember, when in doubt, just show up. And welcome back to the Ultra Running Guys. You got Jeremy Reynolds and Jeff Winchester of the Ultra Running Guys. And the reason that we're here is to help you take your next step in your ultra running journey. And part of taking that step is knowing where it may take you. And so we've been doing an audio podcast for a while, but we decided that we're going to start doing a race spotlight series. And so if you're used to listening to us, just know this is also on YouTube. And if you're finding us for YouTube, welcome to the family. But I am excited. We're going to, Jeff's going to give an overview in a second, but we're going to be talking about a race tonight that was my first ultra, both of our first 50 milers. And we've got uh, nobody better than the RD here to answer some questions. But first, over to you, Jeff. All right. Well, that's right. And today we are going to be focusing on the JFK 50 miler, which we are both rocking our t shirts and you can't see them because if you're listening, you don't see that. But if you're on YouTube, you see this cool things we got going on, which, by the way, is the oldest ultra marathon that is running that you can participate in it is uh america's oldest america's oldest excuse me let me correct that um and i had to be reminded because it's actually on my shirt um (laughs) one one thing i do love about this course though is that it gives runners a little bit of everything and so just going to take a second to kind of read a, a breakdown of it for you but the race is broken down into three segments it's got the appalachian trail segment which starts with 2.5 miles on a road before entering the trailhead for the appalachian trail for another 13 miles so you get some single track, you get to be on the Appalachian Trails, really cool first 15 and a half miles of the race. Um, after that, the runners are going to run 26.3 miles on the CNO Canal towpath. Nice little is, marathon. It is a nice marathon right in the middle of it all. It is flat <laughs> and unpaved. And then when you leave the towpath, you will get back on some paved rolling country roads for the final 8.4 miles to the finish line. Uh, this course is a point to point race. Um, it is fun it is a great one and we highly recommend it we both like jeremy said have experienced it Uh, but enough about what we have to say uh we are going to now welcome to the show mike spindler the race director for the jfk 50 miler mike welcome to the show ultra guys thanks for having us absolutely so like i said this was the first this was a lot of fun for us to kind of go back we ran it in 2016 2017 but said in the intro america's oldest ultra marathon so the first question is what does that mean? Why don't you tell us where it's or uh, when it started? And then if you don't mind, because I'm sure we could have a whole episode just kind of on the history, but just give us the elevator pitch of kind of the history <laughs> okay. of the JFK 50. Well, the very first uh, JFK was held on March 30th, 1963. It, it predated the term ultra marathon, and it wasn't really meant to be a foot race. It was, ending, it was answering President Kennedy's um, plea to increase the physical fitness in the United States. And one of the things he was trying to do was, was uh, the military officers. Teddy Roosevelt, in 50 years prior, had required his military officers to be able to cover 50 miles on foot in 20 hours. John F. Kennedy wondered how many of his 
military officers of the early 1960s could still meet that requirement that Teddy Roosevelt required. So that's how FIRST got started. And these events popped up in military bases around the United States and around the world. And also Life Magazine did a story about them and the general public got interested. So it was almost in 1963, there was two major uh, fads in the United States. One was hula hoop and the other one was 50 mile hikes. And this one in Washington County was organized by a gentleman by the name of William Buzz Sawyer, who was a world-class runner, an all-American at North Carolina State. And he had a track club here in Washington County called the Cumberland Valley Athletic Club. And the athletes he coached, high school boys, said, hey, uh, coach, maybe we could put together one of these 50-mile challenge events here. So Buzz laid out a course that you guys went over that was, he was very concerned on it being off-road as much as possible. So he utilized two ma uh, amazing resources that cut through Washington County. One is the Appalachian Trail, and one is the CNO Canal towpath. So 30-some, 30 30-plus 30 miles of the course were on those two venues, and then he had a little stretch on the road to begin with and a little stretch on the road, and that's how the course got started. But it really didn't um, evolve into a foot race until the late 1960s. Uh, the first five editions were basically a hike to answer, answer Kennedy's challenge. And by 1964, as those of us remember history, Kennedy was assassinated in November of 1963, and most of these events held around the uh, military bases around the world and around the um, United States were never held again. Mm -hmm. The one in Washington County was held again because the athletes that Coach Buzz, that Buzz coached uh, asked them to do it again, and they renamed it in 64, the JFK, not Challenge, but the JFK 50-mile Memorial. So it, it fed from that. But by almost like the Kennedy Space Race, it was like, yeah, we're going to get into space at first, then we're going to you know, do a... Uh, once around the world, then we're going to go put a man on the moon. The JFK was very similar in that people were finishing it and then was like, well, how fast can we finish it? Right. And it was, you know, at, they had a 16 hour time limit. Of course, Buzz took the 20 hours that Roosevelt and Kennedy allowed and pared it down to 16 hours. And then by 1969, he pared it down to 15 hours. And then in 1973, excuse me, 1974, he cut it down to 14 hours. But the winning, the finishing times, and then they started calling them winning times because then people were wearing numbers. By the end of the 60s, it wasn't just guys with clipboards seeing if they could finish this hike. It was a foot race. 1968, Leo Henry was a local legend in this area. He became the first solo winner. Up until that time, the first five editions, there would be two or three or four people cross the finish line together. Times are recorded. Awards were given. Medals of you finished the 50 miles. But that's how it, it gravitated into a foot race. And by the early 1970s, it was it was an atmosphere. They went, a writer once described it as, you were in Boonesboro on the start of the JFK in 1973. There was nothing else going on in the world. Mm. On March 30th, March 30th, excuse me, March 31st, 1973, the event was held in the spring until 1974, and then Buzz switched to the fall. He thought he would get better weather by doing that. But on March 31st, 1973, there was 1,724 starters in Boonesboro. A guy by the name of Max White, who had finished 18th place in the Olympic marathon trials just months before, was on the starting line. Other world-class runners to try to win this. It was the largest foot race, not the largest ultra. It was the largest foot race held in the United States in 1973. That's amazing. And That's crazy. White, this guy who was 18th place in the Olympic trials comes and does the unthinkable. He runs five hours, 55 minutes and 30 seconds and smashes this unthinkable barrier when just a few years earlier, the winning time was 10 hours. So 
that's how it turned into this from a hike and to answer JFK's call to fitness to this foot race that predated the term ultra marathon. It was always just a foot race. And at that point in the early seventies, there wasn't that many races to go to, you know, the JFK was bigger than the Boston marathon. It was bigger than beta breakers and people were just looking for foot races and, Hey, you know, they didn't have any knowledge of the sport. A few months earlier, Frank Shorter won the Olympic gold medal and the running boom was started. So people were looking for foot races of any, any kind. So the finishing rate back then was only about one in four. And that was because people were jumping into this way before they were prepared. But when Buzz switched to the event from the spring, the last time it was held in the spring was 74. And he switched to the fall in 75. Then the finisher's rate started going way north of 50%, 60%, 70%, 90%. Cause the people were much better prepared. Time had gone on. They knew what they were getting into, you know, at this point. I am just shocked at your ability to grasp every one of those details from the beginning <laughs> like that. That's quite impressive. And your energy and love for the race just comes out. And um, it's really cool to see. What, well, the um, us, not to interrupt you, but the three of us have something in common. That the JFK was my first 50 miler as well. No when I was kidding. 12 years old in 1971. That's so cool. When you were 12? I had, I had a brother who my family was very spread out. There was 17 and a half plus years between the youngest and the oldest. And he had been a very good collegiate, uh, all um, all conference cross country runner and a miler and a half miler, and he was an adventure athlete back then. Once again, before that term even existed, he was climbing mountains. And he was the one who came from California to the East Coast to win this 50 mile race that he had read about in Sports Illustrated. The 1970 uh, winner got a little blurb in Sports Illustrated, and my brother saw it. And he came to win the race, and that's how I heard about it. And I asked my dad if I could do it. And at that point. <laughs> There was no age limitation. You could be as young or as old as you wanted to be as long as you had a parent to sign a uh, release if you were under 18. So that's how I did it. So 14 hours, 19 minutes, and 23 seconds. That's I finished year old. well, and I was I was hook, line, and sinker. From right. that time, so my rotated right. Mike, I'm going to interrupt you because everybody listening has got all the reasons in the world that they sometimes think they can't finish 50 miler. But now you have put them up against a 12 year old. So good job on that. <laughs> and they have no excuses. A pair of Converse All-Stars and a pair of gray sweatpants and a gray sweatshirt. There you go. I have a you number know, back in my in my bedroom. You know, what's funny is my first time uh, running that I came up next to a guy in Converse. And he, said, <laughs> he said, I got 5,000 miles on these babies. You know? and, uh, if you went back to the early 70s, over half the field were wearing Converse All-Stars. That's, that was the shoe everybody was using until Max White showed up in a pair of and our sponsor is Brooks, and I hope I don't get Brooks mad at us. But Brooke, the first major running event, one in a pair of Nike shoes, was Max White winning the 1973 JFK. He got those shoes. They were Nike shoes were given to all the Olympic trials qualifiers in 1972. And many people claim it's John Anderson who won the Boston Marathon in 1973, but that was 16 days after Max White won the JFK in a pair of Nike prototype shoes. Wow. So he wasn't wearing chucks that day. But he, if he was wearing boots, he would have ran 10 minutes faster. <laughs> That's right. Get that in there. Um, well, here's the deal. So I will say there's so much. So we we had Davy Crockett on the show for Ultra Running History. He did a great episode. It's episode 90. So if you're if you're fascinated by some of the history you just heard, I would highly recommend going to check mm -hmm. that out. You mentioned um, you know some of these high end runners coming. 2016. That was the year the Jim Walmsley set a record. We were there to kind of witness that. Then we recently had, well, we were there, <laughs> right? I, I was four hours back on the course, but um, we recently had Hayden Hawks, 
who I know also came out and, mm-hmm. you know, crushed a record as well. But what is it? So obviously the, the race has been around a long time. There's a lot of history. What do you think keeps people coming back? And, and if, and if somebody hasn't run it, why should somebody come run this race? Mm-hmm. You know, when I was growing up and, and fell in love with running, there was two races that I just lived for. And that was JFK and it was Boston Marathon. And I thought there was a lot of similarities. You know, we're the oldest ultra in the United States. Boston's the oldest marathon. And when you go to the Boston Marathon, I can remember going there the first time and driving the course. And I was thinking a big, big feet are going to be on the same road that my feet were on. Frank Shorter, Bill Rogers, all these great heroes. And it's the same way with the JFK. When you come, it's Max White from 1973, the first man to break six hours. And he was the best ultra. He was second place at the London and Brighton uh, race, which is at that time, the, the unofficial world championships. And you, you get to go on the same course that all these greats that went in, in the decades prior to you. You get to challenge yourself against them, against their ghosts, against their watches uh, at their times on the same course. Mm-hmm. That's part of it. Also, the, the Kennedy flavor, and that this was Kennedy trying to bring the country back to fitness. Kennedy was very, very concerned, not about how we looked on the beach, but about national security. It was like the Russians' um, general population was much fitter than the U.S. was. And he was trying to flip that because he was concerned that we were going to lose the Cold War because of our and, – and the, JF, and the JFK became part of that. It was the general public trying to get fit, maintain our fitness, the military trying to stay in fit, a better country, you know, living a life of vigor with that New England accent, vigor. <laughs> and that's what the JFK became, and it's still the same way people will come in. And the Kennedy family has been involved with the race, the Roosevelt family, because who's through the Roosevelt Challenge? It was the Roosevelt Challenge before it was the Kennedy Challenge. So it's all that history. And then this course is really unique. You know, we get triathletes who come to it, and they're not going to get on a bike and swim, but it has that same flavor, mm-hmm. that, you know, the mountain section. you got to have, you know, if you're a road guy, man, the mountain section is tough. And if you're a trail runner, it's a piece of cake. Then you got that long stretch, and then it's the road. So it's like a triathlon. It's three different sections. Matter of fact, how Andy, Andy Mason, who I've alluded to, he's our record keeper as well. You know, the, it's the splits are broken down into the mountains, the towpath, and the road. That's how the splits are broken down. That's how people approach it. So it has this, and I mean, I just fell in love with it. When I was 12 years old and I finished, and my father, who was a Division One athlete, he thought that was the greatest thing that ever happened. His 12-year-old son finished, and I told him I would win someday, and 12 years later, I did. I mean, it's just, any day of the year, I will tell you exactly how many days until the JFK. And it's been like that. It's been my life for 50, 53 years. And, you know, it was like that as an athlete until I retired in 1990. And then Buzz groomed me, the next race director. And then by 1993, he thought I was ready to take over. And it's been like that for 31 years. It's just like, you know, my kids have grown up. I have a 26-year-old son and a 24-year-old son. They both finished the event. They've grown up around it. My wife, who was a world-class 10,000-meter runner, Olympic trials qualifier, 10,000 meters. She wow. did the event in 19, 2016 with you guys when she was 54 years old, just out of curiosity. Could I finish this thing? And then she did it again last year at age 60. And I'm not going to try to talk about her doing it this year. You know, it just gets into your, but it's got this class reunion type feel too. When you're standing down there in Boonesboro and there's a thousand plus people and they're doing the countdown, you look like, you know, it's, it's not so much you want to kick the butt of the person next to you because they're probably going to help you through at some point. They're probably going to help you through the Appalachian Trail when it gets tough there in the last couple hours. But it's just this, and I, I wish I knew who the writer was, but I think it was 73 when they said, it had a sense that nothing else in the world was going on that day except this. And for the people who get there, they, they understand. Maybe they don't understand anything. I'm a BSer. 
once you get down and you stand at Boonesboro and that they start, Ken Racine, our timer starts counting it down one minute and then they count down until the gun goes off. It, I get goose pebbles just thinking about it. You are the right guy for the job. No kidding. I don't think, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they're going to think you're just BSing them. I think you are inspiring them, inspiring them and motivating them to just like sign up. But that there becomes a risk for a lot of us, right? What do you think that runners that get motivated to run this race, they decide that, you know, Mike is just like crushed them with inspiration. They cannot wait to do it. And they're going to sign up and the race is in November of this year and there's still spaces and they're like, I'm going to do it. But what do you think they typically will do? What do you think they will typically underestimate um, about your race? If they're road people and we have a, we have a reputation for getting a lot of people, this is their first ultra. They don't do a 50K and, and we're not trying to talk them out of it, but they come to the JFK, their first ultra, something beyond the marathon. It's right. a very generous 13 hour time. The, the aid stations are fantastic. Most road people kind of underestimate the first 15 and a half miles at Appalachian Trail. It's vastly different from any high school cross country race you might have ran, any road event obviously you've been in. It is very challenging. Matter of fact, I encourage people if they can to do a recon mission out to Washington County sometime in the months before and just go across that Appalachian Trail section so you're familiar because you're not shocked by it. Um, that's probably the biggest thing there. Because I always tell people, and then I always tell them for, you know, and I don't really coach per se JFK people. I advise a few, but the, the, nobody is successful by doing the first 15 miles too fast. You're much better off approaching that first third of the event as a warm up. Get through it, beat the time cutoffs, don't cut it too close, but come through there unscathed. And we kind of joke about it, but we've had a lot of broken fingers a lot of broken teeth by people who fall on the Appalachian Trail. That's probably the most common two injuries is dental work and then broken fingers from trying to catch yourself when you fall forward. So don't get in there. We get people with two intense. So we know how that is in a marathon. You're checking splits from the first couple of miles. JFK is not like that. Let a little time go by. And then you're going to, once you get down the towpath, you can you know get a nice rhythm going because it's a flat dirt path it's very similar to the old dirt tracks that that preceded the uh, synthetic surfaces that came out in the late 1960s early 1970s so you have and then the last road section it rolls but you're almost glad to have a hill at that point you know after doing the flat mm. toe <laughs> no. i wasn't yeah. i live on the east coast so it's flat yeah. where i'm at i'm like this is a bad these are mountains <laughs> they're not well, they're rolling they hills but I tell you, we've got some really great social media groups. Mm -hmm. I, I go in there and I watch. And people have done the JFK for years and for decades will be there and answer questions for these first-time people. What do you suggest? How should I wear? What shoes? Should I wear trail shoes? Should I change shoes? And I just watch it. It's great. And it's great advice. And I read through this stuff. And every once in a while, if they do get advice that I kind of disagree with, I'll chime in mm -hmm. with a, you know, a, a direct message to them and say, you know, that's how... There's no right way and no wrong way, but a little different, and, you know, but it's very rare. Usually the, the information you get on these GFK social media sites, on uh, Facebook and, and so forth are very, very helpful, very helpful. That's huge. So if you're listening, I would highly recommend, you know, if you're looking at the race, plug into that. I will say from experience. So it's funny, my experience the first time was I loved the first 15 miles. I, I actually thought, hey, this is great. But once I get onto the tow path, I'm really going to zoom. Um the first 15 miles didn't come hard, but once I got on the flat toe path, I realized just how much it wore me out. You know, that it used different muscles. So if you're listening, I would heed that advice, plan for the first, you know, 15, 16 miles, just because it is going to be different, especially if you're a road runner. So I think that's great it's pretty advice. technical. Yeah. Um, oh, remember, there's technical. parts of it that you're running on on rocks that are sometimes covered with leaves and everything like that. And 
I just remember my feet the first time I ran it just hurting so much on the bottom of it because I just wasn't used to running on that type of surface, even yeah. though I run on roads. It's and and I, I, when I was giving my wife advice, who was doing it at age 54, I told her, like my coach told me, I, I was a good track runner. I ran the steeplechase when I was in college, but I was establishing trails. It was very difficult for me. And my coach told me, find someone going the right pace, run directly behind it. Mm-hmm. God rest yeah. his soul, Greg Shank was one of the greatest coaches who's ever lived. And he said, real country boy, we're country here in Washington County. <laughs> you know, we try to hide a little bit, but we're pretty country. So he put it in real simple country boy logic. Follow a guy who's going the right pace, get right behind him. Mm-hmm. If he puts his foot somewhere and doesn't fall, put your foot there. If he puts <laughs> his foot somewhere and falls, don't put your foot there. So I kind of tell people who are first timers to, to get, and I've heard it called the Congo line, right. you know, this thousand runner long Congo line, but it really is, I think, beneficial if you can follow somebody and watch how they put their feet and even have conversations with people who are multiple finishers. If you're following somebody who's finished the thing five, six, eight times, they're going to have a little better experience and do things right. So I, I, I give that advice to people doing it for the first time as well. That can really help you be successful. Yeah. So, so while we're on the topic of, of the risk, right, that kind of um, runners can experience, particularly on the Appalachian Trail, sure. what are some of the things that you think um, is going to be the reason that will knock somebody out of the race? Uh, being too um, time-driven. Our normal finisher rate is 91, 92%. We look at that 8%. We break it down every year. The biggest proportion is that is elite athletes who are trying to win prize money or trying to um, do something extraordinary. Right. And saw they weren't hitting the splits they weren't going to hit, weren't having the best day, they drop out. And then the same deal, the person who's trying to break eight hours, nine hours, 10 hours, was very time goal driven, and they saw they weren't going to get it, and they bailed out, save it for another day. Those are primarily the, the, the people who drop out are the ones who were really very concise on the place they wanted to be or the time they wanted to run, the drop out. Um, after that, we get a, a very minor number, far less than 5%, were because of injuries, because of a bad ankle sprain, or a, a broken finger or a, a good gash on their head or something. That's way less. It's usually less than 2% of those. Let's say we start a thousand, you know, we might have, and, and, and we have 80 people to drop out. Um, there's going to be 50 to 60 of them who were just driven. They were, they were, then you're going to have a few that just had bad days. Things didn't go good. We all know how that is. And then a few that just had crazy stuff happen. You know, uh, I, I know a deer hitched the car. We actually had deer running across the course. Nobody's nobody's not finished the race because of been hit by deer. But a couple of years ago, a deer knocked down a couple of our runners. Wow. Not on the Appalachian Trail, on the road leading wow. to the Appalachian Trail. Deal got spooked. So, so, but mainly if you're just calm, and I always tell people come in and we have a formula that helps people. I don't know, I'm a marathon runner. I always tell them, what's your fitness? Well, I just did four hours at New York City. You take your marathon time, Multiply it times two and add two hours. That's probably what you're capable of doing the JFK. Now, if you're a little faster, if you're a two and a half hour marathon runner, it's probably more like a marathon times two plus an hour and a half. And if you were more of a five hour marathon runner, it's probably marathon times two plus two and a half. But that four hour marathon runner, and that's our average finishing time is usually about 10, 10 and a half hours. That, and, and the most finishers that we have cross the finish line between 10 and 11, 11 hours. We, that's how we guide those people. And it's a pretty good guide, but don't worry about it. You're going to negative split. You're probably going to go faster in the back half because the first half is so much more difficult terrain wise than the first half. So, you know, give people good advice to set them up for success. And, and we've had this amazing proportion of first time finishers that come in and finish the event. 
That's good if, for people listening. And again, that was our first. It was great to finish. We, we were able to finish both years, which is fantastic. But to hear that it's got such a high finisher rate and some part of it. So let's let's go ahead and transition to if, if somebody's coming from an aid station, I, I would guess part of it, because like you said, kind of have these transition points. And, and when I think back, even though it's been several years now, I remember the aid station kind of right in the middle of the trail where you come out, I remember like potato chips and things like that. I remember, I think it's, mile 27 ish there's a an aid station somewhere right around mile 40 or 41 as you're hitting the road those really stand out to me and i remember great people good energy and it kind of helps you make that transition from your perspective what should people expect from an aid station standpoint um what would you recommend they bring what kind of things will you have for them those kind of items well when i took over as race director in 93 there were no aid stations there was a couple places where you could get water along the course, but no uh, calories, no nutrition, nothing like that. And I wanted to make it an even playing field for that athlete who was coming in from far away that didn't have a handler. It was kind of like one of those things for the first 30 years of the JFK, if you didn't have a handler, you were a fool for going to the start line because you needed someone to come and give you dry clothes or give you nutrition and give you your sports drink and that type of thing. But when we brought in those aid stations, the Appalachian Trail presented a problem because in the first 15 and a half miles, there isn't many access points. So there's only, there's an aid station at three and a half miles, there's one at nine miles, and then 15 and a half. So in the first 15 and a half miles, you only see three aid stations. After that, they come at an average of every five kilometers. And they're, and they're manned by mainly uh, civic groups, high school cross-country teams, a couple of college teams, and these kids are passionate. They are going nuts. They're cheerleaders. They're putting calories and fluids in you. They're also pumping up your spirit and getting you rolling again. And they take great pride in doing that. And a lot of these 14 to 20-year-old kids end up on our starting line down the road uh, because they get the fire from those people. But the aid stations, the basic stuff, you know, we're going to take care of you. There's going to be the universal drink, the Coca-Cola, you know, <laughs> the, the, the uh, electrolyte drink, whoever our sponsor happens to be. And then, you know, we try to have a good sit down with our people. Andy was a two-time top 10 finisher in the JFK. And, you know, what do, what, what do you drive it? Not just the elite athlete, right. but the athlete who finishes in all those time frames. And it was one of the reasons Buzz Sawyer picked me as the race director, because I finished the race in the last hour when it was a 15-hour time limit. I finished in that 15th hour three times. And then when I got good coaching and 40,000 miles later, I ended up winning the race. I was under six hours. Wow. So I had a perspective of the whole thing and not, and from all different things, you know, what does that elite athlete need? And what does that person need? That's trying in the dark going through great discomfort. What do they need? So the eight stations have just about everything you can imagine. And, and then the eight stations will give them what we provide and then they'll ask our permission, but there's an eight station, 38 miles. They serve red velvet cake. They call it 38 special, and they've been doing that for 30 years. They make tons of these red velvet cakes. And for some reason, runners get there, and it's just the best thing they ever ate in their life. And it gets them going. And um, the aid stations, my son, 24, he'll be 25 next month, who did it for the first time. He's not a runner. He was a, 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 a swimmer and, and very involved in uh, theater and stuff like that. But he wanted to do the JFK. And I, put, I said to him, I said, you can do everything right but your brain is going to tell you at some point, like your hand does, when you put your hand on the stove, don't do this anymore, okay? You should stop doing this. You have to you have to be able to take that part, that logical part of your brain for the people who's not really an elite, an athlete who's gravitated from the marathons and that person who gets it, I got to do the JFK, I got to do the JFK. And we get a lot of those people. 
One of our sponsors has finished the race 21 times. He's never done any other race, the JFK. And we had to show him how to pin a number on when he did it. <laughs> so so the, in, that, in their mind, we tell those people, you're going to come to a point of crisis where your brain is going to have an argument, either in the logical part and the part that really wants that finisher's medal and really wants your name and results on the website for all of eternity. And, and that's going to come. I told my son, I said, it's going to come. But I said, I'm going to tell you. You're going to wake up and you're, you're going to get out of your bed this morning. And when the day's over, you're going to get back into your bed. Keep telling yourself that, even though it's going to seem like the longest day of your life. And he finished in 12 hours. And I think he had um, 20 couple minutes to spare. But And he's right. He says, you're right. Now, his mom lied to him. Mom said, oh, you're going to have so much fun. You're going to meet people from all over the world. <laughs> and he did. And he had that kind of fun. But you're going to have those moments of crises where you got to really kind of, you know, dig down deep, however you want to guts, or just, as I tell people, you got to have this, you got to convince a lot of, even though you get people in their PhDs, we've got doctors, lawyers, really, really brilliant people for a short period of time. You got to convince that logical part of your brain to shut up, shut up for a while. Well, I'm going to give a quick pro tip, even I'm not a pro by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but just a tip from somebody who's run it twice. The first year I actually ran it for about two and a half miles longer than the second time. Both times was the right distance of 50 miles. But the thing that you can do since it's a point to point race, if you, if you ignore the idea of that you're supposed to move to the right because that's where the slow runners are, if you stay to the left and you run the tangent because it's a huge arc, right? All over the entire course. It's a horseshoe if, shape. Yeah. Right. It's a horseshoe. And if you stay on the left side, you will run the 50 miles. If you stay on the right side most of the race, you're going to add a couple extra miles on your run. And you're going to be very confused why nothing is measuring the right way. That's what you need to know. <laughs> you're welcome. Yeah, that's, that's really good because people will come to us every year and say, my Garmin gave me this. And just yeah. like you said, if you could cut the tangents, Buzz Sawyer, it wasn't 50.2 miles because of a mistake. He wanted to make sure he got it right. Mm -hmm. So it's 50 miles, 352 yards, 50.2 miles. If you cut every tangent perfectly, Mike. which is almost impossible to do. If you're in a, if you're in an airplane going over the towpath, the river goes back and forth like this. It doesn't go straight. You think you're going straight, but it's constantly turning. And we measured at each one of those cutting the tangent perfect, each river bend. I feel like it was a huge arc that I stayed on. <laughs> just like go to the left, just go to the left. But I did. I ran the tangents the entire time. I would go back to each side. There's at least two mile difference. That's good advice. It's, it is really good advice. It's something you don't think about when it just looks like it stretches out in front of you. So if you're listening, heed the advice. Yeah, Unless you want you. the extra miles, you know, if you want to. I can be the excuse, right? Oh, I was yeah. slow because I ran an well, extra two miles. I did extra miles the first year, and I was hooked up to IVs afterwards <laughs> in their medical tent. But let's move on. Yeah. All right. So I know we're getting close to wrapping up. This has been fantastic. But okay, so let's talk about the registration process. Um, I know at least you guys have sold out in the past. I believe there's some, still some openings now. But if somebody's thinking about registering, are there any qualifying race requirements? What do they need to know? You know, there used to be, in 2012, our 50th, there was 7,000 and over 7,000 people wanted to run the event. We could only start 1,000, 1,200. Um, and that, that, that changed. And so we did away with our qualifying system, our standards. You have to be 13 years old. Um, the reason we did that is because that's the youngest we really want to imagine that kid finishing their freshman year in high school cross country and then go right into the JFK and if they did it properly. So an insurance company kind of frowned about us having free teens. So... So 13, 13, and, and if you're 18 and above, you sign your own waiver. 13 to 17, you get mom and dad or your guardian to sign it. That's all required. It opened on March 1st. And um, our permitting process 
and we have to work with a number of different organizations and they want us to do it safely and we wanted to do it safely. We wanted to do it so it's a good experience. Because I ran the event in 1973 when there was 1,724 people and one mass start. And it was a little congested there in the Appalachian Trail. We got through it and it happened. But it's, you know, 1,200 is probably a better number. 1,500 right. is probably a good number. But right now, permits allow us 1,200. So we can start 1,200. We open up March 1st each year. There's always a couple hundred people waiting for the midnight to come. They're going to jump in there and enter. And um, so we still have spots open for people who want to get in. And um, I'm in love with the race. You know, I've, I, I grew up on it. I was prepubescent when I did it for the first time. Now uh, I'm two months away from getting Medicare. So I've grown up and old with the event, and I just my my year just rotates around. Each night I'm a, I'm a, still a physical fitness buff, and I do two sets of fifty sit ups each night. And when I do my sit ups, I pop off the fifty, and my mind goes through each mile mark when I'm doing it. When I get to thirty eight, in my mind, I, I take myself through the fifty mile course every time I do my two times fifty sit ups, and it's still it's just so ingrained. Although I haven't been on the starting line in over over thirty years. It still gets into you. And I've got people, an old college professor of mine is in his 70s. He proudly has a bumper sticker on his car, the JFK 50 bumper sticker. Last time he finished the event was 1973. He's well into his 70s. He has great pride in that. And I think once people come in and they get a little bite of this, they'll see why it's special yeah, and why it survived for 60 plus years. I want to go back already. <laughs> yeah. And, and so one thing I'll say too, is if you're listening, watching, so when we started, right, it was kind of like, Hey, just line up across the street here and here's the, the start line. Right. But you guys had a pretty cool ceremony. Now there's actually an official start plaque, right. Or, or plaque it in is. the street. Wow. So we, I want to go back and see that. We were blown away by it uh, earlier this year, the town of Boonesboro had just been so unbelievably welcoming to us. And uh, they put bronze plaques on both sides of the street. It's beautiful, commemorating the, this is where the JFK started for the first time on March 30th, um, 1963. And then this year on the 60th anniversary, the exact day, you know, we got together this ceremony with the politicians and the sponsors. And I was just blown away by it. And it's just unbelievable. When you, when, I mean, I live 12 miles from Boonesville. When I go there, I look and I go, this is incredible. They spent all this money on this to, 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 to let the world know this is where the JFK 50 mile starts is so cool. That's awesome. Very cool. It is. I mentioned before my, my stepfather grew up in Boonesboro and that's how I heard about the race for the first time, the history. I mean, everything about the race. Um, if you're listening, watching, we talked about the ultra running history episode 90 again, highly recommend you, you go check that out. And the JF, it's jfk50mile.org is the website. You Like you said, you're all over social. So please go check that out. And Mike, man, your energy, like you're, you're contagious. You're definitely the right guy for the job. Uh, you just kind of ooze JFK. And we're just so grateful that you spent the time with us. Well, I appreciate you guys having me on. One last thing. The race is Saturday, November 18th. Saturday, November 18th. So clear your calendar. Uh, go get signed up. And as always to the ultra running guys family we appreciate you guys again if you're joining us for the first time on youtube feel free to check out the podcast episodes we'd love to have you and uh we just appreciate everything so mike thanks again and to everybody else we will talk soon and cut, cut. all right listen thank you so much we recognize the fact that you are probably just hanging on just for a couple more minutes as you're finishing up your run but really we do want to give you a huge thank you for the constant support that you've shown us we hear you and we feel you. And the best way for us to continue to grow 
is for you to share us with your friends. Tell them what you put in your ears when you're out there on a long run. Hit the like button, leave us a comment, um, leave a review, and give us some direct feedback on what you like about the show and also what you don't like. We're here to improve and do it for you. And it really means the world. And listen, if you would like to support financially, you can connect with us on Patreon at patreon.com slash the ultra running guys, or you can use the support link in the show notes. Any and all support goes directly back into growing the show and helping us get better at what we love to do, which is to serve all of you. And with that, finish up that run, get cleaned up, and just show up. Clean. Clean. Clean.